0: This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons 3 to 7 on Sports Hub Triad.
1: It's crazy to think that two months ago today, the ACC tournament was disrupted and the NCAA tournament canceled because of coronavirus. And now that we finally have a pretty good picture at what these ACC Big Four lineups are going to look like for next year, we're going to be doing deep dives on North Carolina, Duke, NC State, and Wake Forest all week long. Let's start with the Tar Heels, which I expect to be greatly improved. I don't think that's really a shock considering they didn't make the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2010 even though there wasn't an NCAA tournament. What's the ruling on that? Can I say that North Carolina missed the NCAA tournament when there wasn't an NCAA tournament last year, Robert?
0: Yes, they definitely missed it.
1: All right. There's your ruling. They're going to be greatly improved. However, there are still two major concerns I have with this team, the wing and shooting. I don't see those being fixed right now. That isn't to say they can't be, Those are the two concerns. Now, there's no doubt this recruiting class Roy's bringing in, the second overall class in the nation, right in front of Duke, right behind Kentucky. It's the best one Roy's brought in in nearly a decade. The backcourt, it's improved. You got Caleb Love running things to replace Cole Anthony. R.J. Davis, a combo guard. You feel pretty good about Walton who could contribute At points, he's a recent addition to this class. The post, goodness, it's the best North Carolina post since the 2017 national title team with Kennedy Meeks and Isaiah Hicks. Like, you already have Garrison Brooks and Armando Bacot. Then you add two five-star players and Walker Kessler and De'Ron Sharp. On top of that, maybe, maybe, Sterling Manley gets healthy and he could contribute in the post as well. I'm not that optimistic on that front, but this recruiting class, it does improve UNC, but it doesn't address the the wing. Right now, Licky Black, he's still slated to be the small forward. I don't see anybody else who could step in and play that role. So, a Big question mark for the Tar Heels, which is the same one we had going into last year. And I feel like pretty much the year before that was a question mark as well, especially for the second half of the season. Is Leaky Black going to take a step? Is Leaky going to become a playmaker? He's an excellent defensive perimeter player. Maybe one of the best in all of the ACC. After you got past... Trent Forrest, and Trey Jones last year, it probably was Leaky Black. He can guard small forwards, stretch fours, guards, very versatile defensive player, but he needs to add some offense because ideally, Roy, when he likes running the break, you have the point guard outletting, and who's the guy that you outlet to? Usually it's a Theo Penson, it's a, it's a Justin Jackson, and they could create, they could playmake, but what last year's team lacked was that guy. Leaky was supposed to be that. So can he stay healthy? Can he develop into that role? That is a major question. The second big question, who's the knockdown shooter on this team? If you had to guess right now, who is North Carolina's best sharpshooter for 2020-2021? I'll listen. 336-777-1600 on Twitter at Sports Hub Triad. Because if I had to guess today, it, ha- it has to be one of the freshmen. Caleb Blub. I see he has a nice pull-up jumper. Pretty nice release that he lets go of pretty high up near his forehead. It's going to be hard to stop that considering how tall he is. He might be a Kobe White type in a best-case situation. And I say that not as a high-volume top-ten pick type of shooter, but somebody who picks up the reins, Gets a lot of playing time early, but has to ease himself into a role, adjust to the college game as a scorer. Maybe Puff Johnson, Cam's younger brother, has some type of resemblance to his uh, older brother in some way. I I don't know. If it's not those two, who's it going to be? Is it going to be Andrew Playtack? Is it going to be Anthony Harris going into his second season? Those are the two concerns I have. Concerns can be addressed, but that's what I look at when I dive deep into North Carolina's roster. If I had to speculate today, I do reserve the right to change my mind before we hopefully convene in Charlotte Operation Basketball in October. This team is going to compete for an ACC title, but they're not going to be a favorite. I think it's going to be Duke favored to win. This league, When I look at rosters across the board, Louisville's going to be pretty good. Virginia's going to be back. Florida State, maybe not as strong as they were last year, but still pretty damn good. North Carolina, they're a top 15 team. They have redemption on their minds, a lot of players returning, a really good recruiting class. But those are two major question marks I have about them right now. Robert, I feel like we have to get to KBO baseball because... We are an NC Dinos radio show. NC Dinos, one of the 10 KBO teams. ESPN had them ranked as the sixth best team out of 10. It's our radio show's team because NC is in its name. NC Soft is what makes up the NC portion of it, a video game company that sponsors this professional baseball team. There's an East Carolina Pirate who played for the Baltimore Orioles on this roster in Mike Wright. Usually we do this a lot later on, but we need to hit it right from the jump. It's time for our KBO NC Dinos daily update. I think we should just call this NC Dinos daily for now on. Robert, cue the music very quickly. Well, it was looking bleak for the Dinos. After the
0: third, uh, they were down up to three runs, and it took them a while to get running. But once they got running, boy, were they running.
1: They were down. I actually watched this when I woke up. Six to two, they were down going into the eighth inning. Six to three. Six to two. They scored in the eighth inning to make it six to three. Well, it
0: says here on the official stats, they scored two in the first, one in the second. I stand corrected. I was was a little murky this morning. It happens. Uh, But like you said, in the 8th, the Dinos went on to score 1 to bring them within 2. They go in the ninth and score 2 to go to extra innings, and they win the game in the bottom of the 10th. 12 hits for the Dinos to the Wizards 14. The Dinos were killing it, and I actually have this uh, winning game call if you would like that. Well, I think the
1: details really matter here because – in the bottom of the ninth they're down two runs two outs and my man goes yard specifically na sung bum na sung bum got it the second time hit the home run to tie it and this is what the korean baseball call let's hear this from the bottom of the ninth <laughs> So we're tied going into extra innings, down six to three, as Robert mentioned in the eighth inning, and then you have the walk off. And they actually say his name if you'd like to hear that. I don't good. know if that's his name. It's, it's. I thought it was Na Sung Bum. That's what he's saying. Listen to it.
2: I that's what
0: he's saying. You don't watch a lot of anime, do you?
1: I don't. Where's the baseball music?
0: Uh, the baseball music, I had to drown it out because I can't play two things at the same time. Would ah. you like the baseball music to come back?
1: I love baseball music. Richard Dice is going to join us in 20 minutes. From the Athletic, Athletic Media Writer, Park Soak Min hit the walk-off homer in the bottom of the tent. I think they have more
0: people with the first name Park than any other baseball team in history.
1: I don't know. The, I think Park is like John or Jim.
0: They they have three. They have three people in Park
1: on their team. I'm going right. to
0: see if there's anyone else. Can
1: you comb the other rosters and see how many parks are out there? Sure, I got that. The NC Dinos, they are 5-1. and one. This is our squad. This is North Carolina's team. We're all behind them and behind Nasong Bum, Pork Sock Men, and Swole Daddy, the mascot of NC Dinos. I also love that on the ESPN graphic, it labels them as NC. It's not NC Dinos. It just says NC. So we took out Wiz today. That's the name of the team, right? Wiz?
0: Yes. And unfortunately, the Doosan Bears have three parks as well. Yeah,
1: we hate the Doosan Bears, man. That's what we're calling them, Robert. They are the Doosan Bears make sure we get our pronunciations and facts straight on our kbo baseball okay so we've covered north carolina in our deep dive so what about duke i'll tell you why this duke team what makes it i'll tell you what makes this duke team different than any duke team we've seen the last five years next on the drive
0: The Drive with Josh Graham. He's confident, smart, witty, vicious, brutal, vindictive—a monster. This is an evil man. Maybe, but he knows his sports. Back to the Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub
1: Triad. Richard Dice, who covers the sports media for The Athletic, had an advanced viewing of the Last Dance docu series. He called it. One of the best things ESPN has done before any of us had a chance to see it, and now that you've had a chance to see the appetite we have for it, Richard, appreciate the time here on Sports Hub Triad as always. Let's start there. Where does this project rank among the ones ESPN has produced over the decades?
3: Well, first of all, good to be with you. It um, it ranks very high. It um, you know for its ambition. And for its enterprise, and for its sort of pure entertainment value, and given that there's so much, uh, so much demand right now for anything original or new, it's to me an incredible success story for ESPN. Viewership numbers have been astronomical for a doc, you know, averaging 5.8 million viewers over eight episodes. That's that's an incredible number and blows out any previous 30 for 30. I think the best thing ESPN has ever done remains their um, their O.J. Simpson documentary that Ezra Edelman did that won the Oscar. I I don't actually think anything in my lifetime is going to touch that. A lot of that has to do with just O.J. Simpson's story and how he represents uh, that story represents far more than just uh, um, you know somebody who who had success as an athlete. That represents race in America, economic disparity, a lot of things um, that come into play with that story. But, you know, for what the Jordan doc is, it's fantastic. I would not consider it any kind of unvarnished, um, unauthorized Michael Jordan documentary. It's certainly, I think, favorable to the subject, but you get insight from Michael Jordan that you've never gotten before. And that's a guy who doesn't, uh, who has not done any of this stuff in a long, long time. So, I rated very, very high, and among the among the better projects ESPN's ever done.
1: Does this project even happen though, without OJ made in America, or even say, the the docu series we've seen Netflix put out there, starting with Making a Murderer? Because I don't think, based on the conversations you had with the director uh, director Jason Hare, it seems like Jordan. What sold him on it was the large amount of context, but there has to be precedent to for audiences. To, to, to show uh, producers and show uh, companies that are investing a lot of money into it that there is precedent, hey, something that's this long form can be successful?
3: Um, yeah, that's a good question. I, I think ESPN um, ESPN itself uh, and the Jordan people probably knew that there there would be an appetite for something that long, and maybe they saw the OJ doc and and – You know, sort of thought that okay, this this kind of sports presentation can work. I just think they're so different. Uh, The Jordan people are very, very different than obviously anything associated with OJ. This one was kind of an odd documentary in that the the footage had been there for you know 30 years. The NBA owned it in coordination with Jordan, and so you needed like kind of the hook of the whole project is the fact that you have this behind the scenes footage you know, if, if, without that behind-the-scenes footage, it's an entirely different documentary. I don't think it's nearly as interesting. And, you know, you ultimately needed that to get into a place where all these different producing partners, Netflix, the Jordan Group, uh, Mike Tolan, who's a well-known producer and director who hired Hair, uh, NB Entertainment, you needed all these places to sort of finally agree that let's do this. And so I think there, you know, there's a little... Do I think the documentary gets made if O.J. and um, and some of these, uh, and the Netflix stocks don't exist. Yes, I do. Do I think they make the partners feel like there'd be a big audience for that? Yeah, I think so too. There.
1: He's on Twitter at Richard Dice D E I T S C H. You're with us here on Sports Up, I want to talk about the Monday Night Football booth as well, because when you look at the criteria they're seeking out to obtain, quarterback, Hall of Famer. They've struck out on the Peyton Manning front. They tried to get Tony Romo. It just makes so much sense that Kurt Warner's hanging out there potentially, and he's already broadcasting Monday night on radio with Kevin Harlan, but he would have to be an external choice. It wouldn't be an internal hire to bring Warner in. So I know you were writing about this at The Athletic. I strongly suggest people go check that out. But if you had to guess today, who do you think is in that booth? What tandem or trio?
3: So I guess today, I think it's uh, probably going to be some combination of Steve Levy and Dan Orlovsky and perhaps some other ESPN analyst like Lewis Riddick or Matt Hasselbeck or someone internally. I think there's a potential that if college football doesn't exist, you could see Kirk Herbstreit and Chris Fowler in that slot as a one-off, but they're going to stay internal. Uh, I, you know, my suggestion of, uh, Dave Pash, Kurt Warner, and Lewis Riddick, which I think would be an excellent booth. I don't see them doing that. Um, I think they've made it clear that they're one, they're not going to go outside of ESPN, and two, it seems like they have their designs at the moment on, um, on Steve Levy getting that job. But I think whatever booth they sort of deliver, it's not going to be a bad booth. I, I don't think it's going to be a booth that's going to last for more than a year or two at the most, and then they're sort of back in the same situation, but they um, you know, they tried for Manning. He's basically said for the last couple of years he doesn't want to do this. They obviously made their pitch for Romo. They didn't get him. Uh, they were certainly, I think, interested in Drew Brees. I know they would have made calls to Phillip Rivers and still might, uh, depending on what he does. Um, so they're in a position, I think, where they're, whatever they decide on this year, I think, once again, is only going to be short-term. And then again, I think they're ultimately going to have to – figure out long-term what their boot is going to be.
1: Richard Deich with us here from The Athletic. You also have done Sports Talk Radio in Toronto. And I'm interested in a broader sports media discussion here about what the line is or what you think the balance is between talking heavy about coronavirus versus trying to actually mix sports in there because much of what sports radio is supposed to be is an escape from the things you would see elsewhere in life.
3: Well, I think it really depends on sort of just what you want your show to be. And that's an individual decision. and probably has a lot to do with um, what, you, what you think your audience is, maybe what part of the country you're in. I mean, to me, I, I think, like, if you're going to have an honest conversation about where sports are in 2020, I don't know how you avoid COVID-19. Uh, at the very least, I think you have to just sort of talk about some of the scenarios and contingencies that are being discussed in terms of how some of these leagues will come back, uh, what they're doing in Europe and in Korea, and is there any findings or learnings that can um, can be used from, you know, what's going on internationally. I don't think it has to just be three hours of coronavirus. I mean, I know in Toronto we've done, over the last uh, 60 days, we've done so much sort of historical stuff we'll bring on. You know, Scotty Bowman or Gretzky. We had I just sort of use hockey as an example because it's Toronto, and you know to sort of do segments on something that uh, that Canadians can relate to, either you know very famous Stanley Cups or Canada Cups or Olympics. So I think there's a lot of ways you can go. You don't have to just be COVID-19 all the time. And the NFL, obviously, is sort of conducting business. So the draft and Tom Brady gave you a lot of content, but I don't know. To me, you do a ma- massive disservice. If you're not talking about this with your audience, if you're not being honest about your own, uh, you know, sort of how you, your own family situation and how you're handling it, yeah, I think sports should be an escapism, and it ultimately is. But I think you also got to deal in reality and be honest with your audience about what is going on in 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 the world right now, which your entire audience is going to be impacted by.
1: Follow Richard on Twitter. It's great stuff. At Richard Dice, read his stuff in The Athletic. And speaking of historical things, we could hit on I. And also the fact you're in Toronto, nonetheless. I put out on Twitter earlier today a picture that was taken one year ago by Mark Blinch of Getty Images. It's Kawhi Leonard's shot that beat the Philadelphia 76ers game seven at the buzzer. That picture, it's one of the greatest photos we've seen, certainly in the last decade. And I've just asked people in the audience, hey, what's the greatest sports image of all time or your favorite? And I've just gotten a litany of things all throughout the day. So, rather than ask you what the best image is, Richard, what what's uh, your favorite one or two that comes immediately to the top of your head?
4: Favorite all-time images? Yeah.
3: Um. Boy, that's a really tough question. You know, I worked for Sports Illustrated for two decades and worked with some of the most amazing photographers. Gosh, I
1: future. love the vault that they have. Oh my gosh! If you just go through some of the images and. I mean, it really is a question that could be local, it can be national. I mean, obviously, the list in Muhammad Ali one gets brought up often, Michael Jordan dunking in the All-Star game. There's a lot of Ali and Jordan that sticks out among the ones that I've seen in my mentions today.
3: Yeah, it's. I mean, honestly, it's It's just It's so hard to pick one. Like, you know, there's a very famous Neil Liefer one, Neil Liefer, I should say, um, of uh, taking... From the top of an arena of uh, Cleveland Williams and Muhammad Ali. It's, and I think Cleveland Williams had just been knocked down. And so it's sort of like this incredible sort of top down image of uh, of Ali in his prime. It's a very, very famous one. I love the, you know, it's a great image that ran on the cover of Sports Illustrated when the US team beat the USSR in 1980 and Lake Plastid, um, Jack O'Callaghan, I think, jumping into one of his players. So it'd be so hard to pick one um, sort of indelible image um, because you know the, you you you, 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 know, you can do a sort of a photo book of like the 100 greatest sports photos of all time and you could you know you'd be making decisions that are incredibly hard because you could probably do a thousand or five thousand or ten thousand so um, that's a that's a that's a hard one I, I am though a major fan of some of the uh, you know from the 60s and the 70s some of those SI photographers they just they they just shot some incredible stuff.
1: I just know it cheered me up today. So at, to the audience yeah, on Twitter, at at Josh Graham Radio, um, I put out uh, just the question, and I've retweeted a lot of the ones that I think are great. But it's something that'll cheer you up, I'm sure, in a time, as someone who appreciates sports media as much as you do, seeing all the great work that's that we've seen over the last four or five decades and Kawhi Leonard being at the center of it today.
3: Yeah, I mean, listen, this was uh... – that was an incredible moment in um, in Canadian sports history. The way the shot went in really makes it memorable. The four bounces before it goes in, it obviously ends the series. That series had had so much uh, tension because the Sixers were um, in a position to knock the Raptors out before the Raptors won a very, very tough road game. And then in Game 7, I think if that goes to overtime, I think the Sixers win. I think, I think they were just... They they just seemed to have more gas in the tank at that point. So Kawhi, um, I mean, he had a massive shot. You know, there were still things that had to happen for them to win a title, including uh, coming back against Milwaukee down two games to zero. But um, that shot, you know, in terms of Canadian sports history, it will be up there with, uh, um, you know, the 1987 Canada Cup goal to win in game three. That's a big one for Canadians. Probably the most famous is Sidney Crosby's golden goal in 2010 to beat the Americans in the gold
1: medal game. But
3: you know, that's a top-five moment, and uh, it feels like 500 years ago, given everything we've been through, but <laughs> it's crazy to think it was only one year ago today. Yeah,
1: follow him on Twitter, at Richard Dice. Read his stuff in The Athletic. Admired to work for a long time. Richard, thanks so much for doing this.
3: Yeah, thank you for the invite.
1: There he goes. That's Richard Dice joining us from The Athletic. Coming up, this might be a controversial statement, but I'll explain myself. I don't think the 96 Chicago Bulls were even the best Bulls team. It's next on the drive. Watch out now. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. I feel it's necessary to take you behind the scenes. What's going on on the radio show right now? In front of me, I have Robert and Aaron in the control room, and all they're doing is just naming out loud random games they used to play as children. And we're realizing that we were quite violent as kids growing up. It has me thinking, are kids still playing these games, or are they just inside playing Fortnite? Like, what is it nowadays? Are you outside? playing what I called manhunt, and you might just call outdoor hi, outdoor hide and seek outdoor, I, No, are they still it's not outdoor hide and seek are, just or, hide or, and seek. or are they just playing i mean are they playing chess wide open still in 2020 i don't know the answer to that They're i really definitely don't definitely
2: not playing chess wide open this generation does not play chess wide, wide open do you
1: still play chess wide open 336 777 1600 i'm willing to hear goofy Games that you used to play as kids on Twitter at Sports Hub Triad. In addition to that, I look at my Twitter feed, and all I'm getting on today's show is a mix of Raptor Nickelbacks and some of the best sports images of all time. Because a year ago today, the shot from Kawhi Leonard bounced a handful of times off the rim and dropped game seven at the buzzer in the playoffs. It's crazy to think it was just one year ago that that happened, but here's what it sounded like on the TNT call by Kevin Harlan.
2: you got to be aware of the inbounder here if you're Philly. It's off to Leonard, defended by Simmons. Is this the dagger?
1: I love Kevin Harlan. I think he drilled that call. But even better than the call is the photo that was taken by Mark Blanch of Getty Images a year ago today. You got Kawhi's face. I don't know how you even begin to describe the look he has. Robot. Does he look like a robot or does he look like a malfunctioned robot?
0: He looks like the robot and iRobot once they realize that they don't have to listen to stuff anymore and they can kind of just beat Will Smith's ass for an hour and a half. He
1: looks like <laughs> He looks like Michael Jordan if he was a robot. Because he has the tongue out. He's trying to do the Jordan, but then his face looks like, as you said. Part robot, Joel Embiid in this shot. Oh, he's so hurt. <laughs> he's, he's bent <laughs> over, very vulnerable, looking at the shot, go up. Ben Simmons, his face, it's great. Jo- it's it's one of the best sports images we've seen in decades.
0: Joel Embiid's face is like uh you hear your parents come home and they walk in the kitchen and they're like, Robbie! And you kind of peek out of your room like, was that for me? Am I the Robbie here? In question?
1: My move was always, if it's important, they'll call twice. Oh, my. See, my mom, if she called twice,
0: man, she was probably coming with a vengeance wondering why you did not hear her.
1: Yeah. So, I'm trying to think of other great sports images. We'll call for those, too, at 336-777-1600, getting a lot of them on Twitter. Do we have the bell that I can use here? Here are the three best... I have three favorite national sports images, and I have three that are local. My third national image is Kawhi Leonard hitting the shot. Number two, Michael Jordan in the dunk contest, 1988. Just him jumping from the foul line. I had that poster on my wall in college of Michael dunking the basketball, and looking at everybody's face as he just soars through the sky. It's amazing. And number one, it's got to be Muhammad Ali standing over Sonny Liston. I watched Ali documentaries last night because I didn't have much to do. But Aaron, pull up this picture real quick and show Robert as well. You all know the shot of Ali standing over Liston but I'll tell you the person I feel most terrible for. It isn't Listen. It's actually the guy all throughout history of this photo being produced everywhere who's standing in between Ali's legs. You could see this guy who has his camera up. He has his glasses on. The only thing that worked against this guy is that Ali decided to knock down Liston on the other side of the ring. He could be the one that is known for taking the greatest sports image of all time, but instead it happened on the other side of the ring. So, he's on the wrong side of the ring and the wrong side of history and forevermore, there he is standing between Ali's legs. He is definitely a bitter old man now. He's like, I wanted that side,
0: but that jamoke took it from me.
2: Now, that dude is not alive.
0: Yeah,
1: you're right. You're I, actually, right I actually don't know.
2: <laughs> no, that dude is old in this picture. That's true. That dude is not alive. It was 1965. <laughs> He's
0: rolling I know. over in his grave. I know
1: the guy who took the picture, the guy who actually got the shot, is still with us.
0: Yeah, he got the picture. I'd still be alive, too. That other two called it quits. He was like, that was my opportunity, my shot. Uh.
1: So that's the three greatest uh, national sports images I can think of. Are you trying to hear some
0: more, or did you have something else planned? Oh, do you have other ones? I had uh, uh, just the, some of the ones that come to my mind. Uh, the uh, Usain Bolt picture from the Rio Olympics, oh,
1: where he's pointing back, or he's
0: like smiling as he's running, yeah. and they're all like, he's like a person in front of everyone
1: else. That's it's disrespectful. terrific. Yeah, it's as disrespectful <laughs> as that
2: sport gets. That and um Dame Lillard's game winning photo that he had, where oh, he's just man. looking up with the well, "I told you so." Glad. Well, that was. Great. I think
1: we need the preface. That wasn't a photo. That was a screen grab off television. Uh.
2: Ah. Yeah still counts. It was really nice. It
1: doesn't count. Okay, so
0: does the LeBron <laughs> dunk with D. Wade, arms wide open? That does, is an amazing photo. Okay, that was my number two uh, when I'm thinking of stuff. I didn't know if that was also like a still from a video or something. No, no, no.
1: That, that's a still image that was caught. Bobby Orr scoring the Stanley Cup goal. I just got this one on Twitter from Jody. And he's up in midair winning the Stanley Cup as the puck goes in. Here are the three local examples I have. Number three, Dennis Smith Jr. in 2015. It is so ironic that Duke, the only time NC State's beaten Duke in Cameron over the last 30 years, pretty much the last 30 years, was that game that's likely going to get vacated because Mark Gottfried, how he recruited DSJ. So it's probably not going to count, except just in our hearts. And the other one NC State's had was 95, but that was the season that Coach K was out with his back. So NC State just perennially can't get anything right. Good things just don't happen to the pack. But I think it's almost fitting that that game doesn't count because the most memorable image is DSJ dunking, but the horn had already sounded. He stole the ball and dunked it, Those points did not count, but that's the photo that we all remember. Number two local example, Michael Jordan kissing Dean Smith on the forehead. They're honoring, I think they're either doing 100 years of Carolina basketball, or I forget exactly what the ceremony was, but they had the championship teams there. They had... 57. They had 82. They had 93 on hand. And of course Michael was standing right next to Dean Smith. And at the end of the line, Michael gets introduced. He gets these loud cheers. But the only cheers that were louder were for Coach Smith after that. And you just have that indelible moment where Michael kisses Dean Smith on the forehead. A really neat photo. And number one, local photo. Deshaun Foster in Super Bowl 38. This is amazing. You have the camera guy sitting right in the end zone, and in the end zone, Deshaun Foster, he, he just dives head first with the ball leaned out and a touchdown score for Carolina, but. You just have this guy who looks like a superhero. It's full Superman pose diving into the end zone. Uh, Just a really cool image. And there's another one from the NFC Championship game that sticks out too. Or I think it actually might be from the divisional game against the Dallas Cowboys earlier in the playoffs. Was that divisional or wildcard round? You get the idea. It's nearly 20 years ago. 336-777-1600 is the phone number. You can tweet the show at Sports Hub Triad, as always. Trying to think of other childhood games I used to play. Any others that you care to throw into the pot? Games you used to play as a kid?
2: I was telling Robbie, the one that came to mind that always had a different name, depending on where you played it, was uh, Sharks and Minnows or Gator. Oh, Sharks and and
1: Minnows. I was always so good at that game. See, the mistake most kids make you don't be patient, but no, just wait for them to to go after a couple people who dive forward and then you make your run. It's yeah. all about trying to time that out.
2: I used to love being the shark.
1: Oh, the shark's sharks, great, but I loved being the minnow that was the last one standing, though. That was the fun of the game, I thought, but you do strike me as someone who likes being a shark. Oh, I loved
2: it. I had to, <laughs> my technique was flawless.
1: I... Let, let's go to Scott and Winston-Salem who has a sports image he'd like to share. Scott, what do you got? Hey, Josh. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing great. hope you are. What, what, what photo are you thinking I'm about? I'm good.
3: Um, one image that just sticks in my mind, and it's local, happened right over here at Joel was um, the year we had J.C., John Collins, and we had a 30-point lead on the state. And uh, DSJ, Dennis Smith Jr., uh, he just took himself out of the game. The coach didn't um, wave him off. He just, he's being such a competitor he is, he just couldn't take it. So he just took himself out of the game. I can never, I can never watch that from my imagery. Um, Of course, I'm a Wake Forest fan, but I do like State. I feel for them some, but um,
4: that was pretty sad.
1: Yeah, Dennis Smith Jr., I remember that vividly as well. Thanks for the phone call where he he took himself out of the game. Um, A lot of things didn't go well for that NC State team or at least not the way that they envisioned it. Gottfried deciding that he was going to mutually leave NC State and Gottfried deciding they were going to mutually part ways. He coached the last month and a half of the year knowing that he was going to be fired after the season ended. Um, So, yeah, there were some awkward moments in there for sure. He also had a big dunk against Wake, if I remember correctly. All right. This is a segment that I look forward to each week. It is... Our NFL trading card war. We've been talking about nostalgia, sports images, games that we used to play as a kid. A lot of you may have opened up baseball cards. Well, football's taken over baseball, I think, as the national pastime, so here's what we're doing. Much like the game war, we're going to stack up these decks of cards that we're opening up for the first time now, and we're going to have them go head-to-head in five different categories. We'll reveal to you... On the other side of a timeout, it is our NFL trading card
2: war. Next. This day in sports history. May 12th,
1: 1970. Ernie Banks hits his 500th home run for the Cubs. He would finish his... It's the two-month anniversary of the ACC and NCAA tournaments being canceled. So I thought we'd do an oral history on it. And I'll tell you what my personal experience was of that day as someone who had a front row seat for pretty much everything that happened. And much like good more oral histories of one day begin, let's start with 12 a.m. Syracuse just got done beating North Carolina. It was the last game the ACC tournament was going to have with fans. And after that game ended... We heard from Jim Beheim. We heard from Roy Williams. Writers were filing their stories. Then a lot of us in broadcast, TV people that just finished their stand-ups and their 11 o'clock news reports, those in radio, we went across the street from the Greensboro Coliseum to Natty Green's house, which we saw a lot of ACC fans trying to get into, but it was kind of... It was a media hospitality, so it was a reserved space for us, and a lot of people were just wondering if we had just watched the last basketball game of the ACC tournament, if we had just watched the last basketball game of the college season because at that point, we had already known about Rudy Gobert. We were soon to learn. We were going to soon learn about Donovan Mitchell as well, And if you also remember about that night, just as big of the story as the story was about Gobert, it was also about in Indianapolis, the Nebraska basketball team was being quarantined because Fred Hoiberg looked awful and he went to the hospital. So I remember talking to two or three media members, just the response being if Hoiberg tests positive, then this is all over. We're not going to play any more basketball games. The media was split. Some felt like we're going to finish the rest of the tournament since there's no fans. And the other side was, how can you justify it if the NBA has already deemed it's not safe to play? It's not safe to continue going on. Side note, I had a high score in Papa Shot, and I feel like that should be talked about. I'm not sure if you're good at those games, Robert, but... Pop a shot, basketball, bar game, the arcade there. I was doing pretty well in that.
0: I'm more of a skee-ball man myself, but
1: props. I was hanging out with BDOT. He could attest to it. Adam Gold, Darren Vott. We were slugging some drinks back. Oh, I remember this now, just thinking about it. They had clear cola. I don't know if this has anything to do with the actual basketball being canceled, but the Natty Greens Brewhouse had clear cola. It tasted like Pepsi or Coke. It was clear, Robert. You didn't hear about this? I have not. They came out with that
0: especially because the games were canceled. So it has everything to do with
1: the games getting canceled. Gosh, you're the worst. (laughs) But have you heard of this? I have heard of clear cola, yes. Right. So I was out till 2 o'clock in the morning, long day at the tournament, and a couple people with the ACC said, if I were you, I would show up here around 9.30 in the morning. I would get back here around 9.30. That's very ominous. It's what they said. Okay, so I show up at 9.15. I show up to the Greensboro Coliseum. It's a 10 a.m. press conference that's about to happen here with John Swafford, And none of us expect what's going to happen later on that day. We're thinking, oh, the tournament's either going to be canceled or the games are going to go on as regular. I arrive at the Coliseum and there's just this Backlogged line to try and get in. No other day I really dealt with a line. Right here I am, and it's 9.15 in the morning. While in line, there's a television above us with Jay Billis saying that the tournament should be canceled. Minutes after Billis had that report on SportsCenter, another television had the ACC Network on, Packer and Durham have John Swafford as a guest who says we're going to continue on as scheduled with no fans in attendance. The games are going to go on. So at that point, we know, okay, here's the deal. Packer and Durham, they already had Swafford on. He's not going to change his mind over the next 30 minutes. This press conference is going to tell us there's going to be basketball games here today, and we're going to see what it's like to have an empty arena where we can hear every word that comes out of Coach K and Kevin Keats' mouth across the quarterfinal round of the ACC tournament. But when the press conference actually happens, it's at 10.30. Oh, but I thought you said the press conference started at 10. Well, that was the plan. Swafford, who's usually very punctual, walks out at 10.30, Robert, 30 minutes late. At that point, I'm thinking something might be up here. He just got done talking with conference commissioners. He says the games are going to go on as as continued, but Adam Gold, our early afternoon host, asked a question that I think made Swafford doubt it was the right choice, and certainly anybody in attendance hearing him speak felt at that point games probably should not go on. The question was this. Rudy Gobert already tested positive for this. The NBA has shut down its sport. Don't you think... That when a player tests positive, it's too late to shut things down at that point? And Swafford gave an amazing response. He said, you know, it's a good question. I guess you'll say if we don't have anybody get infected, we were right. And if somebody does get infected, we were wrong. It was an answer that simply was not good enough to suffice something as serious as the coronavirus. So he says, we're going to continue playing. But I do remember he felt very uncomfortable in that press conference. Fast forward to 11.45 a.m. I'm finishing up lunch, and I'm sitting with a couple writers. I look at my phone, and it says, the SEC and Big Ten tournaments, they have been canceled. So what's changed? Power Five commissioners, they just talked an hour ago. Swafford just had his press conference saying, we're going to go on. They canceled both their conference tournaments. And somebody at the table gets up and says, yep, we're done here. (laughs) Somebody just gets up from the table. Yep, we're done here. Florida State set the play Clemson. So naturally what you do, you go out to the floor. And I'm standing there on the baseline. It's noon. And on my phone, I look to see if the Big East gets canceled. St. John's tips off with Creighton. So I'm thinking, is this about to happen with the ACC too? Florida State, Clemson, they're both on the floor And the media's all walked out there to see what's happening. Fast forward to twelve ten, Clemson's done warming up. Florida State is abruptly pulled off the floor. And while this is happening, Robert, here's what I want you to picture. You love the movie Titanic? One of the classics. I would not say love, but yeah. Right, we have issues with Rose. But overall, it's a great movie. One of the iconic parts of that movie is that the band continued to play on. This seemed like the basketball equivalent of the Titanic because while the tournament is about to get canceled, as that's all happening, Clemson and Florida State's bands are dueling back and forth playing (laughs) hip-hop and rap songs via marching band. Like Lil' John's Get Low is played by the Clemson band. Florida State is countering with that walk the moon uh dance song that's usually played in weddings uh shut up and dance right so that's all happening i'm enjoying that and i appreciate that and then i'm told by an fsu parent that i was standing next to somebody just texted me from the locker room john swafford has informed the team that the tournament's about to get canceled 1215 league sends out a release 1220 here comes john swafford onto the floor With Florida State and Clemson. And they're going to have a trophy ceremony. This is the part that sticks out to me the most. The image of Florida State being handed an ACC tournament trophy without playing a game in the ACC tournament. No fans are in the stands. Clemson, which hasn't lost any games in the tournament, they're standing there applauding the Seminoles for being ACC tournament champs. I give Brad Brownell a lot of credit. I give Clemson a lot of credit. That's a classy thing to do. Very tough spot. FSU, none of the players have smiles on their faces as they're being handed a trophy. Just a really awkward circumstance, and that's at 1220 in the afternoon. I have a radio show at 3. So 1230 to 3 o'clock, it's a mad rush to go from Greensboro to Kernersville, quickly breaking down equipment. I saw staffers outside who didn't know the news until they learned it from some reporters. And they started breaking out in tears because that's their month's work. The NCAA tournament, their month's income. The NCAA tournament and the ACC tournament. There's a consensus at that time they felt that this was an overreaction. I think we could look back and say that it wasn't. And at around 2.15, 2.30, right before we're about to go on the air, Kansas and Duke said they're suspending travel for all of their teams. Which a lot of people interpreted as... They're not going to go to the NCAA tournament if there is one. So we're all just waiting for the hammer to drop as we go on the air at three o'clock. We also learned right before the ACC release that Duke told the ACC that they're not going to be playing in the tournament, so they kind of forced their hand anyway. Then 4:15 happens. We're on the air. Segment begins, and Robert says to me, the NCAA tournament has just been canceled. It was an on-air gut punch. It was a Thursday, so I said, you know what? We've done so much good stuff this week. We're just going to do a best-of show on Friday. I need the day because it was just an exhausting day, an exhausting week. It's always going to stick with me. All these things that happened in a short period of time. I can't wait to watch the documentary when it comes out. But we had John Swafford on the show a few weeks ago, and I asked him about March the 12th, going out there, Having the press conference, saying they're going to play games, then canceling the tournament before FSU and Clemson hit the floor and the balls teed up. I asked in all his time as the commissioner of the Atlantic Coast Conference, which dates back to 1997, where that challenge, that day, ranked among the challenges he faced as the conference's commissioner.
3: It's number one. It's, and that's a list that number one isn't, is not a good thing. Uh, that was an extraordinarily challenging day and, and several days in fact, and, uh, things were changing the first of the week. They're sort of changing daily, uh, by the time, uh, of, of that Thursday when we decided to, to, uh, not finish the tournament, it, it, things were changing literally hourly.
1: That's John Swanford and I think this is the perfect segue to what we're doing next. When Gobert tested positive, when Tom Hanks that night on March 11th tested positive, I was in a big crowd of people watching North Carolina play Syracuse at the Coliseum, and the guy sitting next to me was Brendan Marks, who covers... North Carolina and Duke for the Athletic. Brendan is going to join us to break down North Carolina, Duke, and relive that day next on The Drive.
3: No mercy, no pity, no fear. You're
0: on The Drive with Josh Graham.
1: So we just got done... Doing an oral history of March the 12th. It's the two month anniversary of the ACC tournament in Greensboro being shut down, the NCAA tournament being shut down during our show later that afternoon. I think about March the 11th a little bit as well in doing that because the guy sitting right next to me as everything was coming down, Rudy Gobert testing positive for coronavirus, Tom Hanks soon after that, everything going on with Fred Hoiberg, who thankfully was not infected with the virus that night. It was Brendan Marks from The Athletic who now joins us, Carolina and Duke beat writer for The Athletic Carolinas. And I just remember Brendan immediately saying, we should not be playing basketball right now. What the heck are we doing? This is crazy and there's no way we're going to be here tomorrow. Do I have that
4: about right, Brendan? You, you do. The only thing that I think you're missing from that story, Josh, is I'm pretty sure I was sloppily eating some chocolate at the time. But as far as the words, yes, you got it right.
1: I gave you – it was our friends who gave me a, a chocolate – Uh, It was a chocolate apple slice that looked like a basketball, and it was incredibly messy. I don't know why we were eating those courtside, but it was delicious. I don't regret it. It was just really messy, to your point there. Moving it along, though, what image sticks out to you about March the 12th where Swafford he has the press conference, and then Florida State and Clemson are warming up. They get yanked off the floor. It gets canceled, and then later that day, the NCAA tournament, follows suit.
4: Right. I, I think there are two that are pretty indelible for me. The first of them is, you, you mentioned it, that Swafford press conference. And it wasn't so much anything that Swafford said so much as it was the fact that he was a half-hour late. And uh, I think as we were all sitting there collectively in the press conference center waiting for him to come in, as 10 o'clock turns to ten o five, ten ten, ten fifteen, ten twenty, everyone's looking around like, you know, have they canceled this already? And you see some people get up, they're going out to make calls. And that, I think, was the first sign that we knew that the the timer had been started as far as the cancellation of everything. And then as far as the the indelible image that I will never, ever, ever forget from on the court, it is surely sitting there eight and a half minutes before the game was supposed to start – Florida State is warming up on the court, their dancers are doing their dances, their band is cheering, the Clemson band is getting ready to warm up, there's like eight fans in the stands, and by fans I mean family who have been allowed in, and it was just totally surreal, it was like playing basketball after the apocalypse, it was like, this just doesn't make sense, and it felt wrong, and and I think you knew that it was never going to actually come together. But the fact that we got that close to to having you know actual on court action, can you imagine if we had waited another nine minutes to make that call? Um, I'll never forget the dancers and the band uh, all, all doing their thing in an empty gym. That was so strange.
1: It's like the Titanic. The band played on. I mean, the the, the ship is going down, and the Clemson bands playing "Lil John."
4: That, that's what it was. It, yeah, it, it was just bizarre. I, you know, I want to know, what are the what are the dancers in the band thinking at that point? Are they like, <laughs> you know, oh, here, yeah, sure, we're going to do this. Because surely they understood what all of us did, which was that, you know, like you said, when Rudy Gobert tested positive, when that all happened the evening in the middle of the UNC Syracuse game, it was very clear that we were not going to have the rest of the, at least to me, it was very clear we were not going to have the, the continuation of the college basketball season at that point. Um, so, so I wonder, yeah, how, what it was for other people. Did we not think that this was going to happen? Um, you know, one sort of an aside story, the day before um, Rudy Gobert tested positive, that morning I actually drove back from Greensboro to Durham for a feature interview with Vernon Carey Jr. And I remember Vernon Carey walking in and saying to me, he was like, hey man, I, I heard that there might not be fans at the Final Four this year. Is that true? And I said to him, I said, Vern, I, I don't know if we're going to have a Final Four at all. And he was like, no, nah, they got to have the Final Four. They got to. Because I think that was everyone's you know, gut reaction. And I was like, I hope you're right. But um, yeah, it's crazy to think it's only been two months. It feels like two decades, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, it really does. Let's talk about Duke and North Carolina, though, looking at 2020-2021. On paper, which roster do you favor right now in terms of which one's easiest to poke holes through?
4: I think, the, I think the roster that I would prefer to have, let's say I were a coach and I was inheriting one of these two teams, the roster that I would prefer to uh, inherit would be Duke's. And, and I say that not because UNC doesn't have a good roster, but but let me explain. I think that Duke has more flexibility positionally, and I think that Duke has more growth potential immediately than unc does so you look at a guy like jalen johnson uh for duke he's coming in he, he's probably going to be a lottery pick he is the sort of wing who dominates in today's basketball he is the guy who at six foot eight six foot nine 215 pounds He can play anywhere realistically from the one to the four. That is a tremendous, tremendous problem. And that's somebody that UNC doesn't have on its, on its roster. It doesn't have someone who can stretch the floor, slash to the basket, defend, handle the ball, and do all of that. Leaky Black would be the closest thing, but, but he doesn't bring that shooting element. So, um, for the, for the entire upside, I'm going to go with Duke. I do think that on the flip side of that, There's much more experience at UNC. Um, Duke doesn't have any caliber of player coming back who compares, in my opinion, to Garrison Brooks. Um, Matt Hurt and Wendell Moore are both really nice pieces, but they are not potential ACC preseason players of the year. So um, I I think that Duke has more potential to be a better team. Um, UNC doesn't have the wing depth that I would like. That's why I I side with the Blue Devils.
1: It's Brendan Marks with us. He's on Twitter at Brendan R. Marks. Read his stuff in The Athletic Carolina as he covers Duke and UNC. Here's my issue with the Tar Heels. I have two massive concerns right now. And now concerns in May are different than concerns that you have in January. These are just questions I have for a team that hasn't come together yet. Hopefully we'll have a season next year and they'll have time to build some chemistry before things get started. But I look at this class, which is great, North Carolina Bolsters their uh, their front court. It might be the best post they've had since the national championship team. You bring in Caleb Love. You bring in R.J. Davis. I like all that, but I don't quite know who else is going to be on the wing other than Leaky Black. Who, if you remember last year, the big question was: Okay, is he going to take another step? He's been injured. I don't want to make too many excuses for him though, because when he was healthy, he didn't take that step either. And also shooting. We talked about it with Duke last year. Who's the best shooter on Duke? And I asked six different people. They give me six different answers. North Carolina, in an ideal circumstance, who's their best shooter? Those are the two things I look at with the Tar Heels. The wing and shooting. What do you make of it?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think those are the two biggest concerns that I have. And especially in the, with the way the basketball is played today, um, you know, it's great to have you know size in the front court and everything, but at the same time, you do have to be able to get three points is worth more than two. Josh, <laughs> um, this, this is something that I'm told is true. So I think for <laughs> UNC, a, a guy who is supremely, supremely, supremely important, and and maybe casual fans don't yet recognize how important he's going to be. Maybe it was the injury last year. Maybe it was the short spurt that he played. Anthony Harris, to me, is, is sort of the guy who brings it all together for UNC. Um, in a very limited sample size, he showed exactly what you would want from an off-ball guard. He's someone who is going to make energy hustle plays on defense. He's going to run the the fast break just as Roy Williams wants. He understands the way that uh, that transition offense is supposed to work. And he can shoot the ball, again, a very small sample size, um, but he had the highest three-point shooting percentage on the team last year. Again, I think he only had seven attempts, but maybe makes four of them. So um, if Anthony Harris – is back if Anthony Harris is healthy, and if Anthony Harris can sustain that small shooting burst over the course of an entire season, I really think that he becomes sort of you know the the missing ingredient, um, you know the missing X factor for UNC that that roster is lacking. As far as the wing, I'm a little bit less concerned than I think you are, um, just because I do believe that Leaky Black has the capability to play a lot of minutes there. Um, I actually had an NBA uh, basketball operations person tell me recently that if Leaky Black could shoot, he would be a really, really intriguing point guard prospect. Outside of like Trey Wake. Jones,
1: outside of Trey Jones and Trent Forrest, he was the best defensive perimeter player we had in the league.
4: I think that he has a great shot at being one of the best defenders in college basketball next year. I mean, he has all of the physical tools that you want. He has the size, he has the quickness, he has the strength. I think he needs to use his athleticism a little bit more. Um, I I think that when you watch him play sometimes, it still feels like he's thinking before he's acting too often. Um, And, you know, that's something that comes with time and repetition as well. But I'm less worried about that because I think if he can emerge as sort of a slasher, uh, you know, a – you know, not quite Theo Pinson version of what the Tar Heels used to have with Theo Pinson. I, I think you can live with that on the wing, especially with Kerwin Walton as a shooter, Puff Johnson giving you a couple of spare minutes behind him. Um, but definitely shooting has is, is got to be the biggest concern for UNC, and Anthony Harris, to me, is the guy I'm most interested in seeing if he brings it to the table.
1: If, you'll, if you follow the ACC or North Carolina or Duke, I strongly suggest you follow Brendan on Twitter at Brendan R. Marks. But if you're none of those but you also like dogs, I'd follow Brendan as well because he has a new puppy named Kona and he posts updates on this dog every day. What's the latest on Kona?
4: Daily Kona content. Uh, Literally a second before I hopped on with you, Josh, Kona awoke from a lovely hour and a half long nap from underneath my sofa. It's her favorite place to lay where she can get away from her owners, um, which means that I am... Probably going to need to take her out as soon as we get off the phone if I don't already need to take her out. Puppies aren't quite housebroken yet, if you know what I mean.
1: <laughs> Didn't you already get close to introducing Kona to new Wake Forest coach Steve Forbes?
4: We, we did get very close to doing so. Uh, I was telling Josh this. Um, last weekend, we socially distantly, you know, following along with guidelines, we brought Kona uh, to Winston-Salem to meet with my girlfriend's family. And more specifically, their family dog, a 115-pound German Shepherd. Comparatively, Kona, for everyone listening, is a 7-pound Australian Shepherd puppy, um, more than 10 times the size. But we went for a, a short walk and uh, in Reynolds Village near Wake Forest campus, and we walked behind the basketball complex, and who do you know is out there on the phone? New coach Steve Forbes, and you know, we waved at him and said, Congratulations, and he sort of waved back. I'm, I'm sure he was doing some recruiting at the time. Um, but, but, yeah, so, you know, Kona and Steve Forbes are tight. Uh, I'm sure that we will have courtside teeth because of that. And uh, <laughs> Kona, I hear, is, is a huge Wake Forest fan. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, he might have been on the, on the phone with this show. There's a chance that could have happened if it wasn't on the weekend. I doubt he was talking to Kentucky Sports Radio if I had to guess. Uh,
4: Brendan, keep up the great work, my friend. It's good to hear from you. I, I appreciate you. And, uh, yeah, I need to get back to Kona. <laughs> yeah,
1: do that. Let's get out of here. He's on Twitter, at Brendan R. Marks. He's got to tend to Kona. And we understand that's where the priority lies there. Yeah, what's your uh, rule on trying to get somebody's attention, even if they're on the phone?
0: If they're on the phone, most cases, I'm just going to wait. Yeah. Like, I I, I hate be doing that stuff. Like, it just perturbs me.
1: I'm pretty good at making a sound and then doing the wave because I'm not a patient person, I'm not usually somebody who's trying to talk to somebody who's on the phone. But if there's somebody I just want to acknowledge that they see me, then I'll do the move where I'm like, hey, and then just do the wave because your first reaction is to be upset. Oh my gosh, I'm on the phone. What are you doing? But then when you see that person understands it and is just wanting to wave, the feeling I get, as the guy on the phone is okay, that guy's not going to disrupt my call. He was just trying to give me a wave, which is a nice thing to do.
2: Yes, Aaron. I don't know. You generally like to leave people alone on the phone. If you can get there, if you can get eye contact without making a sound and just kind of let them know that you're acknowledging their presence, I might need to. You can kind of like mind warp. So you're not about. Know.
1: You're not about. Hey, and then they turn. And you just do the wave and keep moving.
2: No, if I can get their attention silently, I do that.
1: What are some ways you can do that?
2: I don't know. Cross the line of, cross the line of sight, stare at them hard enough until they start to feel it.
1: That's true.
0: <laughs> Which is a real thing, by the way. You can totally feel someone staring at I've you.
1: I've always wondered this. Is that, in fact, so people can feel when you're being stared at when there's no line of sight that you're in?
0: Oh, Try really? it. Try it next time you're out in public.
2: I got big ass too.
0: When
1: is the next time we're going to be out
0: in public? I don't know. Maybe uh, when you're at like your stoplight or something, coming out of your apartment. Like my brother,
1: he lives in Los Angeles, (laughs) specifically North Hollywood. When's the next time they're going out in public? Three months? You see this? Yeah, they got (laughs) hit with a three. (laughs) You got hit? You got hit with a three-month stay-at-home? I'm sure that'll go over well. Good night. Because I'm already done with it at this point. If I'm being
0: honest. I'm done. For sure. I think everybody's done with it. Like, n- nobody wants to sit at home. I cannot wait until I can go out when it's dark and be surrounded by people and drink where it's also dark.
2: I think the thing about it, especially with areas like this where our numbers are relatively low, um, it's easy to get lulled onto that sense of security where you're like, all right, everything's fine. I'm going to go ahead and, and do my thing.
1: Well, we we don't do a lot of coronavirus on this show. Let me just put this one out here coronavirus when's the when's the last time you heard the expression flattening the curve answer that one for me because remember that was all all the jazz that that's what it was we need to flatten the curve there are people who believe that we are opening things up and that means oh the the the, the coronavirus is gone there are people who believe that which isn't what we were trying to do. There are people who believe that we were going to stay at home in order to beat the coronavirus so that when we come back out, everything's going to be okay. Vanished. Vanished. That's not what we were doing. It takes a year, a year and change to get a vaccine. What we were doing is flattening the curve, which means make sure the hospitals are prepared for a large amount of cases. They don't get overrun. We've clearly done that. We have flattened the curve. That's why people aren't talking about it anymore. So yeah, we, there are more people who are going to get it. But also, the hospitals can do their job and keep people alive, keep people healthy. That's Because what's the alternative? What's the alternative? We all stay home. If, if I'm sounding ignorant in any way, I'm sorry, but this is just how I feel. When I see stories that hospitals are furloughing employees, even in North Carolina, when I see those headlines, I think we're doing the exact opposite of what we should be trying to do. Like, there's no reason why hospital employees should be worried about there not being enough people to take care of because everybody's ass is at home. That's all been festering at the surface for a couple of days.
2: Get it off your chest. Yeah, I feel better. That's I also cool.
0: think uh essential workers should all get like some extra PTO. Like the people that work this I'm not just talking about us. Not definitely not us at all. We should not get any PTO. Uh, no, no, don't say that though. Don't no. say I'm not saying wait, wait a we minute. should not
1: get any extra I'm
0: PTO. I'm not saying that. Hospital workers? Yes. Grocery store workers? Yes. yes.
2: I'm not going to turn it down if they offer it to People me. People
0: that have been working at the radio every day, yes.
2: I'll take some PTO.
0: Dude, give us like, give me an extra two days of PTO. Get, Let me take an early weekend one week. Like, I, I've been here. Yeah, it's
1: really hard for us. We have no sports to talk about. Boo-hoo. I mean, this
0: job is still a hard job. I'm We're not like, going to discount what we ew, do. We that's what what we, why we like, make money doing it. Like, here, we've it talking,
1: <laughs> like We've been talking also. We've been talking about that's a hazard pay. We've been talking about and getting paid to talk about what's the name of the game you talked about last hour?
2: Chest Wide Open.
1: That's right. We're getting paid to talk about Chest Wide Open. They're you're looking got, And you're looking for more PTL. I don't
0: think that that should be discounting anything that we do. I think that we provide a very valuable service here and just saying just talking about Chest Wide Open on the air. Yeah, that's not, not necessarily all that we do.
2: Now you know not to walk down the street with your chest wide open. That's a valuable public service I just provided.
0: What do
1: you got in Take It to the House?
0: Uh, If you wanted to watch Donkey Kong and Pikachu take on Mario and Yoshi, you don't just have to do that on your TV.
1: You can do it right here. It's just amazing. It took two minutes of us talking about coronavirus. Two minutes for Robert to try and angle for something that benefits him.
0: All right, you don't get any PTO. If if we if it comes down that extra PTO is being handed out, let it be known that Josh Graham does not want any. Does not want any extra PTO. Last week, you literally said to me, I'm thinking about taking some vacation time in June. Heck yeah, you're thinking about taking some vacation time because we're working our ass off.
1: We take it to the house next.